This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Hey, Josh, it's a big week for technology with the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, the CES. Have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah, I have been a, f- a few times. It's uh, it's a big, I mean, I'm, we're talking a big show. <laughs> this happens. It's bigger than big. I- yeah, it happens in Las Vegas every year, um, and it is so enormous. It's not just the Las Vegas it's not just the Las Vegas Convention Center, which by itself is enormous, but um, every year it expands to more and more hotels and other offsite locations. Um, it is just so massive. It's nearly impossible to get to see everything that's there. I know people who've gone there and they've taken like their Fitbit with them and they've ended up with like 20,000 steps in a day. Um, because it's so big and because you're walking so much, not only in the main hall, but going from one hall to another. Um, it, I, I don't like those things. They're too tiring. Yeah, it, it, it can be fun. <laughs> but if you're there for, you know, covering certain things, uh, you know, and, and you've got to get around to almost every booth, your feet are going to be so tired. It's It's way worse than just walking around Disneyland for a day, in my opinion. So Apple hasn't been present at CES for a long time. I I assume they were present back in the day. I don't remember. Um, But they put up a billboard in Las Vegas uh, riffing on a sort of a joke statement that people say. The billboard says, what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. Apple.com slash privacy. Yeah. So, of course, everyone's heard, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so they're trying to be cute and, and riff on that. But... You know, at, at first glance, I was kind of like uh, a little bit confused, I guess, because I'm like, what What exactly does that mean? What happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. Well, I've seen that movie, The Hangover. And does it have anything to do with that? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So so clearly people do some uh, some fun things when they're in Vegas. Right. I mean, a, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people do. Um, but I mean. Okay, so what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. If we if we parse what that means, I, I immediately start thinking about, well, wait a minute. So, like, are they saying if you're taking pictures on your iPhone, that's going to stay on your iPhone unless you choose to do something with it? Uh, or unless you automatically have iCloud syncing, in which case it automatically gets sent up to Apple servers and all that. Like, what, did, what do they mean by this? If you're using, I mean, no, you can't use an iPhone without using the Internet. Not really. Isn't all the data sent to iCloud encrypted with HTTPS? Um, yeah. So I guess what? It's, it's, they're, they're saying it's on your iPhone. It's on your iPhone and in the cloud. So that's kind of already not really a true statement. Yeah. And in fact, pretty much anything you do on your iPhone of importance ends up someplace else. Your email is coming from a, a server someplace else. Your messages are going through another server. Your photos, as you said, um, anytime you're downloading an app, your location uh, may or may not be stored. And so, yeah, it's not really that everything is staying on your iPhone. I I kind of get the metaphor um, in the sense that they're talking about privacy and perhaps saying that 
Apple's privacy is better than that of Google's. And I think that's the main message they were trying to express. True. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, anyone who knows Apple and knows kind of their whole fight for privacy and that kind of thing understands that that's probably what Apple really means here. But at the same time, the, the messaging is confusing because they're not really clearly saying that they're basically they're trying to come up with some clever way to say hey we're privacy friendly and i don't think this was the way to do it well this is your point of view as a security researcher and you're taking it very literally um i can't appreciate the metaphorical meaning of it but it's not entirely true is it you found a couple of things this week that show that this isn't the case yeah so on the ios platform you know you you have an app store that's the only way normally that you can get an app onto your iPhone or iPad and there's there's no you know official easy way to sideload apps like you can do really easily on Android where if you want to use a third party store hey no problem you know if you want to just download uh, a, an app from a developer's website you can do that on Android if you choose to and that's not something that you can do on iOS, which is fine. In fact, that's kind of a nice thing in some ways, because in theory, that keeps you better protected. But sometimes there are some apps that come into the App Store that are, let's say, a little bit questionable in terms of uh, who developed them or some of the things that those apps do. And just in the past week, there have been a couple of, of stories about uh, a package tracking app turning users' devices into a bot farm. <laughs> so this this one may be a little bit overblown, but basically this uh, there's a package tracking app in the App Store that was behaving in such a way as to look up other people's packages locations and so forth for for those other people but they're using your phone to do it so one person's phone with that app on it would send a request to another person's phone to look up information then send the result back to that first phone <laughs> right which sounds crazy but if you think about it you know maybe it's not so crazy because whenever you do, whenever you look something up on whatever it is on your, let's say on your iPhone, you want to look up a package where, where a package currently is. Um, most apps, the way that they would work is they would send that query to a server somewhere and look up that information and send it back to you. Well, you know, as a way of saving a little bit of money, they just avoid the whole server thing. We don't need to pay for a server. We'll just use somebody else's phone who's also using our service. But why do they need a server to do this? Well, yeah, I, that's a good question because in some cases you may not really need to use a server to do this because, so let's say United States Postal Service or United Parcel Service or one of these, typically you can just go to their website, type in the string or paste it, and find out where your package is. No, no, that's not my question. My question is why the app would need to query a server other than the server of the provider. I use a, a similar app called Deliveries on my Mac and on my iOS devices. So when I order something from Amazon, I immediately add that to Deliveries. That way I know when it's gonna come. Um, when I order something that's gonna come from UPS, I add that. 
And when I do this, the app knows what service it is. Either I come from the Amazon page, so it recognizes the URL, or I paste in a tracking number and it either recognizes it, for instance, UPS tracking numbers all start with the letter Z over here, um, or it'll show me a number of options and I'll choose which one it is. So is it UPS, is it DHL, is it Royal Mail, whatever. Um, and I'll be able to choose what it is, but I don't think they send anything to a server to get that information. They'll send it to the server of the delivery company to get information, but that's it. Yeah, there's a couple of ways that an app like this could work. One is that it does everything right on your device. Um, another way that it could work is that they send all those tracking numbers to a server and then that server on your behalf is checking the status updates and then sending you a push notification once something has changed. So that's kind of the way that Siri works on the iPhone. Um, so you say something to Siri on your iPhone, it goes to a server, an Apple server, which does the voice recognition, which does all of the fancy um, thinking to send you back an answer. So that happens on my iPhone, but doesn't stay on my iPhone, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you could you could say that. So, you know, so this this whole idea, though, um, concerned uh, one person who who wrote up an article about this and said, you know what? I don't like the way this whole like distributed network of, you know, package checking works. And as a matter of fact, it looks like they're not even doing this in a secure way. So those tracking numbers are actually getting sent to other people's devices unencrypted. And, uh, you know, I, it doesn't seem like they're really disclosing this, that when you put your tracking number into this app that other people are going to be able to, to get that tracking number. That may not necessarily give them a lot of information about you. No, but they can track the package and they may be able to find the address somehow. Possibly. Well, I know that there are some packages where I've gotten a tracking number, say by email. And if I go to the Royal Mail website and I put the tracking number in, I see the address to which it's going to be delivered, my address. Oh. So porch pirates could use this to find where certain things are being delivered and then go steal them. Well, that's really interesting. So most of the services like this, at least in the United States that I know of, don't have any way to, to look up what the final destination address is. So you can, any, you can share that tracking number with anybody and not worry too much about it. But if it's possible to find out the final destination address, then yeah, this is, a, this is actually kind of scary because now somebody who is very intentionally trying to steal packages could just, you know, download this app and see what tracking numbers come through it and maybe they'll go steal your package off your porch. In another discovery, some security researchers found more than a dozen iPhone apps that are linked to a malware called Gold Duck. Gold Duck. Not gold duck, one word, gold duck. That's right. Yeah, and for Pokemon fans, the, you know, gold oh. duck is is the name of a of a Pokemon character. See, I wouldn't have known that. <laughs> okay, but uh, no relation to the the friendly Pokemon. This is uh, you know a malware campaign. At least on Android, it's uh, there's malware involved. Um, and so basically what happens on, on the Android platform is if you download one of these same apps that's also in the iOS app store, what will happen is that app will download an additional app um, in the background without really alerting you to what it's doing. And then that app 
is so that in malware terminology that's called a payload so you know you've got your trojan horse your game that uh, looks cool oh that that looks really fun you download that and then you end up with something else getting installed um, that does potentially some nasty things um, it can and again this is on android um, that second stage app will do some things like it can silently install apps, other apps in the background. It can use um, uh, run shell commands. So, I mean, if they can do that, that means they can do an awful lot with your Android phone. They can send SMS text messages on your behalf. Ooh, that's not good. No, no, this is, this is really not good. Um, and so now on the iOS platform, a lot of those types of things can't really happen. And so there's not anything really overtly malicious, but just the fact that these same apps exist uh, in the iOS app store is kind of a concern because they're using the same servers. There's communication going back and forth between this app and the developer's server. And so they're at the very least, they're tracking information about your location and uh, and some other things that could uniquely identify you or allow the developer to, in some ways, track you or find out more information about you. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to look at Apple's ecosystem and why maybe it is as underrated as Tim Cook said in a recent interview. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Indigo's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Indigo's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Tim Cook did a long interview in an Apple store. I'm not sure where that store was. Was that the one on Apple's campus? Um, because it wasn't very, it was a very big store and it wasn't very crowded. Right. Well, it was empty because Tim Cook was giving an interview in there. So they had to clear the place out, right? There were customers in the store, but not many. They may have just been Apple employees who had been, you know, planted there as extras. But it was awfully quiet and not crowded. Anyway, the interview on the CNBC website, I'll link in the show notes, is about 20 minutes long. And, and it's interesting. A lot of it is about financial things. A lot of it is about Tim Cook talking about services that will be released next year. But of course, he didn't give any clues. We all know that Apple's going to be coming out with a video streaming service. Um, but there was something that struck me as really interesting and in that Tim Cook was saying that the Apple ecosystem is underappreciated. And that made me think about something. If you boil it down to the big difference between Apple and Android, 
It's the ecosystem, stupid. Now, before anyone takes offense, you know, this is a reference to a statement that um, Bill Clinton's campaign manager, Jim Carville, said in 1992, it's the economy, stupid, uh, to say that that's the most important thing. Don't waste your time talking about anything else. And it really is the ecosystem. I want to give you an example. Um, my partner is a non-tech savvy person. And before she met me, she had one of those little phones that had keyboard on it. And this was six years ago. We met six years ago. And so she has now got an iPhone and she's got an iPad. And she was just saying the other day, before before this came out, um, how much easier it is to work with this. That technology has always been something that has been more for men than for women. But now it's so accessible. We have a shared calendar. We have a shared shopping list in the Reminders app. Uh, we can send and receive messages easily and emails. I can take a picture of one of our cats and I can airdrop it to one of her devices in the house. And I recently got a car with CarPlay and she was so happy that when she was driving, she got a text message from her daughter. The CarPlay Siri read it out loud to her and she was able to reply and she thought that was just wonderful. It made me realize that there is a majority of Apple users who are not tech savvy like you and I, but who probably don't appreciate how powerful this whole ecosystem is. Now, Tim Cook mentioned in his interview talking about the hardware, the software, and the services that all work together. And I thought it would be interesting to really consider that more seriously. When we say that an iPhone at $1,000 is expensive, it is expensive in the absolute. But when you think about all that you're getting in addition to that, you know, in the first part of the show, we were talking about this malware that can install on Android because you can install apps from anywhere. I think this ecosystem has more value than Apple is making clear. And it might be good for them to highlight this in more ways about all the ways that these different services and features work together. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I, I mean, Apple has actually a really good thing going um, from from the perspective of, you know, uh, if, if you own Apple stock, well, certainly you want to see Apple be successful. And one of the ways that Apple is successful is that they get people kind of, well, some would say locked in to the ecosystem. Um, you know, you get used to using iCloud you get used to using uh, Apple Music, you know, and all these other services, which are all very tightly integrated with each other. Now, you can use some of those services without Apple devices. You can use Apple Music on an Android device. And in fact, just this week at the Consumer Electronics Show, Apple announced that Samsung TVs will have an iTunes movie and TV app. Yeah, that's that's kind of cool. And, and so Apple, I think Apple needs to... Um, consider doing more things in that direction where um, Apple focuses more on their services rather than thinking of itself as a hardware company. Tim Cook may have a little bit of a challenge there just because of his background. He's, you know, the former chief operating officer. He He's a supply chain guy. Exactly. He understands the supply chain. And so he has a history of kind of being probably more focused on the hardware. Um, but, uh, but Apple's clearly, as you've pointed out in a recent article on the Intego Mac security blog, Apple is not so much just a hardware company anymore, or primarily even a hardware company. Yes, they do make most of their revenue from iPhone. 60%. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's significant, really significant, but because of all these other things, 
uh, and because of the slowdown now in iPhone growth, uh, you know, Apple needs to start focusing a little bit more on some other things. So the 60% of the revenue that's the iPhone, that is the eggs all in one basket problem that Apple has. And it's true that a slowdown in the iPhone um, really does hit their revenue. But Tim Cook pointed out in the interview that last year there was $167 billion of revenue from the iPhone and $100 billion from everything else, from the services, from the Mac, the iPad, wearables, etc. I believe he said that wearables, which for them counts the Apple Watch and the AirPods, uh, are making much more than the iPod at its peak. Uh, I don't know if that's adjusted for inflation, because remember when the iPhone came out in 2007, that was the peak of the iPod, so that's more than 10 years ago. Um, but it's true that that 60% is problematic and that Apple decided a couple of years ago that they were going to double services revenue from 2016 to 2020, and they're on track to do that. Services clearly are the future, but it's more than just the services here. I recently switched my personal bank account. I got a new debit card and a new credit card, and I scanned them with my iPhone to add them to Apple Pay, and boom, they're all of a sudden on my watch. These kinds of things, we take them for granted how simple they are, but they really are powerful. Uh, you know, this is a feature a lot of people may not know about. If you're signed into the same iCloud account on, let's say, a Mac and an iPhone, you can copy something on the Mac and it will end up in the clipboard on the iPhone. So if you go into an app and you need to paste something, you can paste it in. You can even do that with a serial number because that transfer is encrypted. So let's say you've got a serial number in your password manager on your Mac and you don't have that password manager on your iPhone, you can copy it and paste it. You can copy a URL, paste it. You can open a web page in Safari, go to Safari on another device and open that same web page. This is, this, this is a group of features that they call continuity and handoff. It also includes AirDrop, which is an easy way of sending files. And what strikes me is that when Apple introduced these features, there was a real problem that it only worked with fairly recent devices. And in my case, I could not get it to work reliably until all of my devices, my Macs, um, my iPads, iPhones, everything had been manufactured after that time. So something at the time I had an iMac that was a couple years old, a laptop a couple years old, and it just wasn't reliable. But now all of that works really smoothly. But Apple doesn't talk about that anymore. I know a lot of people in the early days of AirDrop were extremely frustrated that it didn't work and ignored it. But now I use it all the time. Um, for example, I'm writing an article and I'm taking a screenshot on my iPhone. Rather than let photos upload it to the cloud and download to my Mac, I just AirDrop it to my Mac and it's almost instantaneous. Yeah, there's so many different angles to this, but I think um, I, I think Tim Cook is definitely right that that the ecosystem is what it's all about. Um, you know, Steve Jobs was famous for saying that Apple develops the whole widget. You know, it's not just the hardware or just the software. We make everything, and because of that, everything is so you know is able to be so tightly integrated with the, with you know with each other. So. If you've got um, an Android phone, um, it might be made by one manufacturer. Your Android Wear watch may be from a different manufacturer. Um, they may work well together. Um, they may not work as well as an iPhone and an Apple Watch. Some people might say that's a good thing. You don't need to buy a smartwatch from the same manufacturer. Um, but we're at such a point in technology where these things can work together well if they're allowed to. And you know, going back to what we said earlier in the show about privacy, Apple really has locked this down in the sense that everything's encrypted. Um, 
that, you know, if my bank trusts Apple Pay to let me pay with my watch, I'm going to assume that Apple Pay has got to be reliable. Banks aren't going to trust it otherwise. I've mentioned on a previous show how I don't enter my password to wake up my Mac very often because it wakes up with my Apple Watch. It's true that when you think about all of the broader elements of the ecosystem and put them together, that there is a, a real value that isn't monetized. Now, Apple has to nickel and dime its customers to give you a five gigabyte iCloud plan, and they make you pay a buck a month for more. And I think anyone who has more than you know a normal amount of photos is going to pay that extra buck. And this is maybe tens of millions of people who are paying that. But is it really worth it for them to get a buck a month out of all these people rather than give them more, make them feel more comfortable in the ecosystem, make them feel that that expensive iPhone is actually worth the money instead of coming along afterwards and saying, well, by the way, you still have to pay a little bit more to be able to use all these services. Yeah, this makes me think of um, the idea that you brought up before about Apple having uh, potentially an all-in-one subscription service where you get iCloud uh, along with a number of other things. Um, I think that could actually make a lot of sense for Apple at this point. Um, you know, they've got their, their movie service that's, uh, you know, rumored to be uh, launching sometime in probably this year. Um, they, they've already begun filming a number of things, uh, you know. They've got a lot of content, but also a lot of services that I think your your average user would want to subscribe to. Um, and I, when, when we talked about this before, I mentioned all of these things, you know, the iCloud storage, I don't really care about enough to for it to be worth it to spend that dollar a month or more. Um, but if Apple had that and also a bunch of other things all tied in together as part of a subscription bundle... I think I actually might go for that, and I th and you know I think a lot of um, average consumers are going to want to go for that as well, and that could be where Apple really starts to make a lot more revenue. Well, I think we've reached an inflection point, and th the first hint of this was when Apple said that they were no longer going to report unit sales for the iPhone. They knew that the iPhone was flatlining. Um, now we get this profit warning uh, recently, and Apple stock is literally plummeted, and Apple's talking up services, and so it really is this switch from one model to another. Um, I'll, I'll link to an article on my personal website where I talk about how the iPhone isn't magical anymore. I'm pretty sure that in the last presentation of the new iPhone, they used the word magical at least six times to talk about the camera or other features. And, you know, when Steve Jobs said it, we kind of believed it, even though we knew it was marketing speak, but you can't believe it anymore. We're used to all these things. So, so I think what Apple needs to do is highlight the mundane aspects of their ecosystem, the day-to-day the, the -day things that make our life easier. Instead of spending so much time talking about uh, neural networks and machine learning and you know special processors in the iPhone, no one cares about that. Maybe the real geeky developer types, but yeah, certainly not the average consumer. They don't know what machine learning or you know any of this means. All they want is something that really works well for them. Okay, I, I'm going to give you some homework for next week, Josh. I want you to think about how well integrated you and your family are into this whole Apple ecosystem. You know, you've got a lot of Apple devices. How does it make your life easier? Come back next week and tell us about it. Until then, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long.
To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.